Hello and welcome to Time Crunch, a quick history podcast. I'm Felicity and I know a lot about history. And I'm Ben and I don't. So we'll jump straight into today's episode with the listener submitted history fact, which once again comes from Marcus. In his email, he specified that this was intentionally not a president assassination fact. So we're in Thank luck. Thank God. Yeah, Marcus really <laughs> diversifying his uh, history repertoire here. Spice it up a bit. <laughs> Uh, Felicity, did you know that Spencer Percival is the only British Prime Minister to have ever been assassinated? No, I did not know that. Well, that... I have no idea who Spencer Percival is. Yeah, uh, well, he, he was the only British Prime Minister to ever have been assassinated. He was shot on... I'm glad on... it's not a president this time. Yeah, it's it's a very different history fact. Uh, he was shot on the 11th May uh, 1812 by John Bellingham a merchant who blamed the government for his debt. I mean, that's one way of getting out of debt, I guess. Yeah, well, Percival had led the Tory government since 1809 during a critical phase of the Napoleonic Wars, and Percival was determined to do whatever it took to win these wars. And his policies actually caused widespread poverty all across Britain. So when news broke of his assassination, people actually celebrated his death in some of the hardest hit regions of the country that really sucks yeah it also kind of <laughs> explains i'm not saying justifies but it definitely kind of explains the assassination at least these people are metal <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot it's a lot so uh what, what's your history fact for this week um so you've heard of king tut right yeah he's like an egyptian pharaoh right yeah it was 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 yeah, he... <laughs> <laughs> spoiler <laughs> And have you also heard of uh, Nefertiti? I just know that she's supposedly like this really beautiful and powerful uh, figure in Egyptian history. That's all I know. That's good. At least you know who she is. That's what I was looking for. Well, I'm aware of her. I don't know. <laughs> That's... That's good enough. Honestly, good enough. Good okay. enough. If There's like a famous bust of her where she has like one eye missing. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Did she have a missing eye or was that just the bust? No, no. It's just uh, the bust is not complete. Hey, power to her if she was the most beautiful woman with a missing eye that's that's equality so uh how do king tut and nefertiti come into the story so have you ever heard of akhenaten no well it's interesting that you heard of tut and nefertiti because he was actually the father of king tut and the husband to nefertiti uh he was also kind of um this guy who created like a state-sponsored cult to the sun god interesting okay so i i guess he's our our main character for this week eh? yep this is who we're talking about we're talking about akhenaten <laughs> all right so uh where do we start um i kind of wanted to change things up a little bit and this time instead of starting at the beginning beginning we're gonna start pretty much at the end all right so even though akhenaten and nefertiti were these really important figures in egyptian history uh they might as well have never existed in the list of all of the pharaohs of Egypt, Akhenaten's name is actually missing. It's it's not even missing, it's actually chiseled out. And in fact, after his death, there was this active campaign to erase um, his reign from Egyptian history. Um, in cases where they did have to refer to him and refer to the, the leader during that time period, that 17-year-long reign, they only ever referred to him as the heretic, never by name and never as like the king or like the pharaoh. Like... Voldemort. <laughs> he should not be named. Right? So w what did he do that was so bad to get him labeled as the pharaoh who shall not be named? Did he kill Cedric Diggory? That would be worse, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> so Akhenaten actually wasn't always his name. 
He was known before as Amenhotep the Fourth, son of Amenhotep the Third, grandson of Amenhotep the Second. I don't know if there's some gaps in this name sequence. We don't know that. <laughs> so his father ruled over the land, whose uh, priesthood was centered on the god Amun, and this priesthood had been steadily growing in power for centuries. Uh, Thebes was the capital, and uh, though the cult of Amun was probably the most influential, there were actually many other gods that were also worshipped, such as Ra and Osiris. So Egyptian society at this point was like a polytheistic religion where all of these different worshippers of different gods sort of coexisted, right? Yeah, so there, sometimes they were, you know, their strength or of the cult. It's not really a cult in today's term, but the strength of their like priesthoods would change. Uh, and some would like become more powerful at different times, but yeah, more or less polytheistic religion. Mm-hmm. So by the time that Amenhotep the Fourth, which is future Akhenaten, spoiler, uh, <laughs> by the time he came to power, the priests of Amun were on an almost equal standing to the royal house in wealth and in influence. Mm-hmm. Um, and his reign as Amenhotep the Fourth lasted for around five years. He followed the policies pretty much the exact same way that his father did, and the religious traditions of Egypt pretty much remained the same. So he 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 maintained status quo pretty much. Yeah, exact. Pretty much exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. However, in his fifth year. He underwent this really dramatic religious transformation, and he changed the devotion from the cult of a moon to that of the the to that of Aten. Okay, so he's now worshiping Aten. What did he do to show his devotion? So Amenhotep the fourth decided to show his devotion to the Aten by changing his royal title. So now he would be no longer known as Amenhotep the the fourth, and he, which was associated to the god Amun, but rather he would completely shift his focus to the Aten and become Akhenaten, which translates roughly to the um, effective spirit of the Aten or serviceable to the Aten, which was a really this was a huge shock to the influential cult of Amun and the priests. Uh, these priests of Amun were like super powerful at this point, right? Yeah. Why did Akhenaten decide to spurn the effectively the established god of the capital of Egypt? Like, that doesn't seem very wise. Chances are it wasn't just a dramatic switch, and it was something that was gradually um, ar- the arising over time. Uh, there's evidence that Amenhotep III, his father, was moving towards worshipping the sun as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the examples that suggests that this might have been a case was the construction of statues of himself and his of his wife made out of quartzite. So in ancient Egyptian uh, thought, quartzite was associated with the sun god because it kind of glowed this gold color. Mm -hmm. Even more impressive was the fact that um, Amenhotep III placed his statues in a position where they would catch the first glimpse of the sun as it rose in the morning. All right. So Akhenaten's dad was slowly shifting towards worshipping the sun god Aten. What else did he do to show his new devotion, his new uh, change in, in worship? Honestly, that's about it. That's about it he did. He didn't <laughs> it's, really it's want a, to piss off anyone. It's you know? a really gradual ease into it, eh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Akhenaten, contrary to his father, believed that the Aten really deserved its full-blown cult. So around the same time that he changed his royal title, he actually decreed that a new capital should be built, uh, which he would name uh, Akhetaten or 
in uh, which translates to Horizon of the Autumn, or better known today as Amarna. And we'll call it Amarna just because it's easier to keep track of. So much of. easier. Yeah. Otherwise, everything is something Aten. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's too confusing. <laughs> Why did he need to build a new city? Well, he thought that Thebes was actually way too close metaphysically to a moon. It had been the seat of uh, a moon worship and uh, religious practice for a really long time. And he thought that the Aten deserved its own, like, virgin lands basically it would be like trying to put a mosque in vatican city yeah okay so he, he's looking for a new place to build uh, a seat of worship for Aten. yeah exactly so he finally chooses a place that is actually located pretty much halfway between memphis and thebes this location was desolate it was remote it was barren so essentially it was a really terrible location to build a capital <laughs> This sounds miserable. Why, why, why would you choose such a crappy location to dedicate to your god? Well, for one, this land had no connection to any other gods. I mean, if nobody's ever lived there because nobody wants to live there, then there can't be any temples dedicated to other gods. Yeah, let me let me set up my new religion in Antarctica real quick. That'll be fun. Everyone will want to join. <laughs> All the penguins. <laughs> yeah. You could call it happy feet religion. It's the religion dedicated to Elvis Presley. <laughs> so probably more important, though, was the fact that he believed that this was the birthplace of the Aten. Hmm. So in ancient Egyptian thought the uh Aket is a egyptian hier- hieroglyph of the sun rising between two peaks which represents the birth of the sun every day at dawn oh so this hieroglyph is obviously pretty significant to people who worship the sun god eh exactly and at this location that he chose for marna akhenaten saw exactly this he saw a sun rising between two peaks in the mountains so he just wandered through the desert until he was like ah two mountains the sun this must be this is it i found it this is (laughs) seems like a random coincidence actually Uh, i mean it's not like egypt's small uh, well let's be honest He, he didn't do it himself he just sent out other people to find a spot where the that's true i mean that's not what the story says but you know, whatever does the story say he, he just wandered around himself until he like stumbled upon the birthplace it says of that the he like literally saw the sun rising and he was like this is the birthplace of the Aten. and then he started digging he's like this yeah but like let's be honest historical records mm... yeah because they deleted them all <laughs> Which is interesting, actually, because there is no trace of Akhenaten in Egyptian history, essentially. Like, there's actually um, reliefs depicting him and Nefertiti mm-hmm. um, that people didn't know who was in the image for a really long time because the faces were chiseled out. So they saw these, like, weird specific attributes in the reliefs of, like, swollen, like, sagging bellies and uh, these, like, sun hands touching the figures. And the only link that they really had between that and an actual figure that they knew about was that King Tut had similar depictions on his throne. Now, when they found Amarna, they actually saw these same images. They saw figures with swollen or sagging bellies and the sun extending its like hands to touch these figures and they realized that those reliefs with the faces chiseled out matched up with the reliefs that existed and survived in Amarna of Akhenaten and Nefertiti. For the longest time they just didn't know who the, whose reliefs those were until they found the remains of Amarna? Yeah exactly they didn't. They had nothing to compare it to. I mean he had been pretty much eradicated from history. 
So this so, man must have done something pretty freaking bad. <laughs> so, but they, that means they were actually really close to succeeding in making sure no one would ever know this guy existed effectively, right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So getting back to the city of Amarna, which ultimately held the key into unlocking who Akhenaten was. T- tell me more about the city. So in the city, there was this uh, sanctuary, inner sanctuary, uh, that was dedicated to the Aten, kind of like a temple. Mm-hmm. And only Akhenaten and his priest could enter the temple. But the thing is, he really wanted like the regular people to start worshipping the Aten like they had worshipped a moon. Mm-hmm. So he actually built his city in a very particular way. Um, if you take the proportions of the temple and you project them outwards, they actually match up perfectly with the city limits, as if the entire city was actually meant to be a temple. All right. Uh, did his plan work? Did people start to rally around the sun god? I mean, it's not like he gave them that much time, honestly, to shift mm. their entire mentality. So there was still a lot of reluctance in exclusively worshipping the Aten. Um, archaeologists have found remains of figures of other gods in the homes of people living in the city. So there's kind of evidence, you know, that they did worship other gods as well. From my very limited understanding of Egyptian society, though, nothing about what he's doing seems to heretic right? Sure, inconvenient, annoying to the everyday folk, maybe, but this just seems like relatively commonplace for Egyptian cities at the time. Was there something worse that he did to deserve to be erased from history? So exactly what you're saying, it was pretty common, you know, for the pharaohs or the kings to take up a specific god and kind of push the worship of that god. But Akhenaten kind of took it an entire step further. Mm. Um, Not only did he really, really want it to be exclusively the Aten, but he also depicted himself and the royal family as much, much closer to the gods or godlike than any of the past pharaohs had. Uh, One particular image is that of the royal couple standing on their balcony in the palace Mm -hmm. and handing out gifts to members of the nobility. In fact, people have found traces of this balcony actually existing. So it was probable that this was a real ceremony where they handed out gifts to the nobles. What's so wrong with that? You know, treating your nobility? Was there something overtly religious or wrong about this? There was. So the palace was actually aligned to the east. And usually only temples pointed east. So this may mean that the palace was actually intended to be a temple itself. Oh, and if the palace was meant to be a temple, what was the object of worship of this temple? It seemed that Akhenaten's intention was to make the royal family divine or semi-divine figures. This, like I said, was super, super different from past kings who were simply humble prophets of the gods. All right, I, I I can understand where he starts to get into heretic territory here. Mm-hmm, yeah. So, so Akhenaten really saw himself as on the same level as these gods. Yes, it seems like he did. Even his tomb was really really different from the past pharaohs. Uh, inside the tomb, you can find reliefs depicting him and Nefertiti with sagging stomachs, big thighs, and naked. Sounds like a Trump hotel. <laughs> It's like a brothel. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's just classic, like, over-the-top opulence of somebody who has no taste, right? But it's that's like, kind of weird, right? Imagine, like, the Queen of England being depicted, like, in her portrait as, like, naked. Like, Queen Elizabeth <laughs> sitting you, on the throne, just you naked. You know Trump has an image on the, his bedroom wall of him, like, flexing his muscles, like, with the Arnold Schwarzenegger bod, and, like, Melania, like, chained to a bed <laughs> or something, like... <laughs> 
I can imagine it. And like uh, these two folks seem to hold themselves in similar regard. But you can also imagine how this would be pretty against the norms at the time, right? Depicting yourself as naked. Y- yeah, definitely. It's it... So the purpose of this was kind of to show that they're different from the rest of mankind and closer to the god. Also, reliefs in tombs usually portrayed really formal images of uh, the individual entering the afterlife in the hands of the gods. So it would portray the whole uh, journey to the afterlife. But in Akhenaten's tomb, the reliefs showed depictions of the royal family rather than the gods. So it showed pictures of them just doing normal things. And it's possible that this was intended to convey to the ancient Egyptians the idea that the royals that you see are the model of human life and love. And that all life flows from Akhenaten and Nefertiti just like the gods. Huh. I think that crosses a line. I can see why It gets, pe- it gets better. It gets better. <laughs> Please do tell. So his tomb was also in this really remote location. So it was far away and kind of in a random spot. Okay, why? So the Akit was is the place where the sun spent the time before rising in the morning. So it's mm-hmm. the zone of transition between the netherworld and the day. It's mm-hmm. where the sun re- receives the life it needs to come to life in the morning. Mm-hmm. It was at this location between the peaks of the mountain where the sun would rise that the tomb was built. So... Essentially, what he was saying was that Akhenaten's soul would rise as one with the Aten, bypassing the journey to the underworld and Osiris. This was, like, insane. This was, like, never heard of. He basically tried to restructure the entire conceptions of the afterlife. And, again, we see that no other pharaoh had aligned himself so closely to the god. And this was really seen as heresy to a lot of people who were concerned about their own afterlife and what, how Osiris would uh, treat them if they followed this megalomaniac oh my who God. thought he was like the Aten. Oh, oh, okay, so let me get this straight. He decides to build his city, you know, uh, where the sun rises between the peaks of two mountains representing the sun god. And then, you know, he, he's getting towards the end of his life. He's going to die. And he says, wait a minute. I'm the sun god. Worship <laughs> me. <laughs> and he places his tomb where the sun goes effectively in between the peaks of these two mountains. Essentially Dude, he saying. He didn't even wait long enough. He didn't even wait before he, like, around the time he was dying. You, it, They built tombs, like, way before they died. True. These things took a while to build, eh? Yeah. Basically, the same day he arrived, he was like, I am also sun god, man. That's presumptuous. No wonder he was seen as a heretic. Mm -hmm. So later dynasties branded him as a heretic as well as a criminal. Okay, we've seen the heretic side. Why was he also a criminal? So you remember how I said that he was almost eradicated from history? Mm -hmm. You mentioned it. Well, he actually tried to do the exact same thing to about 2,000 years of Egyptian history. That's a lot of history. Yeah, it is. It's a big, that's a big task. <laughs> so he tried to wipe out all records of the other gods and pretend as if they never existed. He attacked like all of the shrines in the land. He was especially keen on wiping out traces of a moon. So he hacked the god's name and face off of statues, obelisks, steely reliefs. There was even like this really tall obelisks where a moon was just randomly written at the top and nope that can't stay either nobody can read it nobody can see it but it's there and he knew so he had it destroyed (laughs) 
It's, it's like a passive aggressive ex-girlfriend who burns your sweaters instead of giving them back to you. <laughs> so archaeologists have even found pendants that mentioned a moon in just like a tiny little corner on the pendant. And it seems that the owners chiseled out the name of Amun. It was clear that even the people feared Akhenaten and his aggressive stance against the other gods. That's like some 1984 level stuff where they fear the thought police to the point where they censor their own... They censor, yeah, they, they censor their own pendants. He uh, did more things. He... To erase all traces of the other gods, he cancelled important rituals to the gods, and in their place actually um, put in place stately parades from temple to temple along the royal road. So, in other words, instead of processions to the divine gods, there is a procession to the king. He's not even trying to be subtle about it at this point. Now, some interesting facts. There is a theory that Ottonism... So the worship of the Aten was the forerunner to other monotheistic religions. So like Judaism, Christianity, Islam. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though there did exist other gods, Akhenaten really pushed the exclusive worship of one god. He only saw the Aten as the, as the only legitimate god. Mm-hmm. There's also evidence that there are some similarities between Atenism and Judeo-Christianity. Um, specifically in a text that was found in the tomb of a military officer called I, who was probably the father of Nefertiti. The plot thickens. In the tomb, the hymn of the Aten was found. This hymn has like a lot of similarities actually with uh, Psalm 104, which is found in the Bible. Mm. Um, the hymn of the Aten actually even anticipates like the central belief of the Bible, which is the expression of monotheism interesting it's a theory there's like these weird theories out there that Akhenaten is like Moses but again none of this can kind of be proven obviously so after 17 years of absolute rule and around the age of 35 or so Akhenaten completely disappears from the records nobody really knows what happened to him and people aren't really sure who succeeds him um, one of the possibilities is that a man known as Smenkare may have may have succeeded him, and he may have been his brother or another family member. But people doubt that Smenkare actually existed at all. What we do know is that Nefertiti, his wife, was given remarkable power, unlike any other queens. Akhenaten actually appointed her as co-regent, and it's highly likely that after his death, Nefertiti continued to rule. It's possible that she ruled under the name Smenkare. So Akhenaten was Loki a feminist? <laughs> I guess. I mean, <laughs> it seems kind of weird considering you just related him to Trump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, the duality of man. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> so after the death of Akhenaten, did the worship of Aten continue? So even though we are unsure about who ruled after Akhenaten, we are sure about who ruled after after them king tut exactly king tut did rule after this mysterious figure as Mm -hmm. king he kind of faced this big choice either champion his father's ideals or return to the ancient ways however king tut was too young to do anything other than change his name and so it was actually i nefertiti's father that took charge of of restoring the old religion Mm-hmm. So I restored the old religion, and when Tut, Tut died at a young age, I became the new ruler, the new king. Mm. 
Since it's unknown what killed Tut, there is one possibility that I or someone else actually murdered him because he was becoming too much like his father and they're scared that there'd be like another heretic megalomaniac king. But again, we will never know. Um, what is certain is that the pharaoh, is that pharaoh after pharaoh, made sure to obliterate all traces of Akhenaten. You mentioned that we don't know where Akhenaten went, right? And something tells me that he didn't ascend to the heavens as the sun god. Was he not laid to rest in the temple that he built in the mountains? He was not. So in 1907, we don't really know for sure, a hundred percent. Um, where Akhenaten's body is. Um, but in 1907, this tomb, Tomb 55, was discovered in the Valley of the Kings in Thebes. And it was dated to around King Tut's reign. So the tomb is very interesting because the mask is actually torn off of the sarcophagus and the name is chiseled out. Um, and when forensic scientists attempted to identify the remains, they found that the mystery bo body... Um, and King Tut had a, had to have at least a first degree relationship. So father, uh, brother, you know. Further investigation found that the individual, the mystery body, mm -hmm. had to have died around the ages of 34 or 40, which is in line so far with uh, when Akhenaten probably died. So it is possible that the body is that of Akhenaten and that he was transferred back with the royals uh, to Thebes and that when they moved his sarcophagus, they also desecrated it in an attempt to remove all traces of him, even in the afterlife. It's gotta be. There's no way it's not him, right? I feel like it's very, yeah, I think that there's a lot of things that are in favor of it being Akhenaten. But this is a case of scientists being scientists and being like well we can't know for sure so they don't want to make i'm telling you folks this is my official professional opinion that's him we found the professional him. opinion of an engineer <laughs> who barely knew who nefertiti was <laughs> my disclaimer being i don't know a lot about history but from everything felicity told me today it's gotta be come on there's no way it's not dude the desecration is just too coincidental yeah definitely i mean like they hated him. They tried to remove all traces of him. And whoopsie, a body from the same time period that is related to King Tut has no traces of even a name. Like, yeah. How many desecration-worthy royals were there, you know, in the Valley of the Kings in Thebes, right, who died at the same... Come on. Having your name on your coffin was actually, like, a really important thing to <laughs> ancient Egyptians. So that's the story of Akhenaten, the heretic criminal pharaoh who tried to erase all evidence of the other gods and tried to become the sun god himself, getting practically all evidence of his existence erased in the process. Right? Yep, sums Some, it up. <laughs> something like that. I, I really enjoyed this story. I, I think that was really, really interesting. Um, so if, if people want to learn more about uh, this story, where can they go? So there are a ton of books that are written about this. Um, there are even some fiction books that incorporate Akhenaten into like a new storyline. Um, so you guys can just check it out for yourselves. Um, there is a documentary about it that I watched for the first time when I was 10 years old. It's uh, called Egypt's Lost City in the uh, Ancient Voices series. So if you want to check that out, it's very interesting. I think I've seen it like 15 times. <laughs> I, I got the CDs for Christmas when I was like 10. So, uh, Thank you for listening to this episode of Time Crunch History. If you like what you heard, 
The best way to support us and to help us grow is to share the show with a friend, or if you really didn't like it, share it with an enemy. If you want to connect with us, there are a couple ways to do that. We're on Facebook and Instagram, and now TikTok? At Time Crunch Podcast, we upload some pictures related to the episodes for visual aids. We'll make some polls to see what episodes you want to see next, uh, as well as some other cool history facts. Shoot us an email at timecrunchhistory at gmail.com. You can send us your history fact. We might read it uh, on air, like we did for Marcus this week. Again, it does not have to be assassination-related, president-related, any cool history fact you like. Um, That's all we have for you this episode. The next one should be up on March 22nd. Thank you so much for listening, uh, and we'll see you then. Thank you, guys. Bye.